we all have either said or heard somebody say, I want to be in showbiz. I mean, please, I grew up in Los Angeles where everyone, except me, it seemed, wanted to be in it. Of course, I had to be the one who wanted to be a TV reporter outside the crack house in sub-zero temperatures at 2 a.m. with a microphone waiting for the suspect to be held out. But, of course... That's just me. You know, when you say showbiz, that is a very broad spectrum. Actors, actresses, stage actors, producers, screenwriters, comedy writers, comics. And if you really want to drill down into which of those is perhaps the most difficult, you could argue stand-up comedy might just be the one. I mean, think about it. Standing on a stage before a live crowd trying to make an audience laugh when pretty much everyone out there (laughs) is ready to heckle you, stay silent, or worse of all, walk out. I mean, that takes nerves of steel. I I hope you remember I had Caroline Hirsch of Caroline's Comedy Clubs on the podcast. It's a couple of years ago. She discovered Jerry Seinfeld, Ellen DeGeneres, Paul Rubens, Sarah Silverman, Louis C.K., just to name a few. And she said, not all, but many comics have a very poignant backstory, maybe a rough childhood, major health issues, loneliness. But they had this gift of turning tragedy into comedy and eventually into incredible success. My guest today is a perfect example. Growing up poor in small-town Louisiana, Josh Johnson was, I mean, a victim of racism. He had to live with his grandparents after his mother needed brain surgery to remove a tumor which required a very long recovery. It wasn't until 2016, after moving to Chicago, that Josh was asked to become a writer for late night TV. But that year, he also had a whole bunch of other life news that he had to work his way through. So how did he now become one of the top funniest comics around and has won multiple awards Let's find out. We welcome Josh Johnson to Everyone Talks to Liz. Good to have you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I mean, look, growing up in Louisiana, I can imagine there's a lot of material coming from that. And somebody said, that's so cool, Louisiana. What was it like? When people say that, what is your response? Um, I I think that they would be underwhelmed. Uh, at, at how much actual material or life is going on in some parts of Louisiana. Uh, you know, you go to New Orleans and obviously that's that's top of mind. The first thing on people's you know tongues whenever you mention Louisiana is New Orleans. But I grew up in Alexandria, so it is much less exciting and uh, way more. <laughs> I guess I guess you could say that way more. Um, um, there, there's just a level of rough stuff that's happening in, in New Orleans, but especially in Alexandria without the added benefit of like a rich cultural history or a, you know, sure. um, uh, tourism that brings people in to, to come see it. It's mostly just if you took some of the most dangerous parts about New Orleans and gave them very few redeeming factors. <laughs> Well, dangerous areas usually don't have redeeming factors, and that's the thing. I mean, that you're growing up in kind of a, of a smaller area. I mean, Alexandria is a city in Louisiana, certainly, but, you know, what was your childhood like as you're growing up there? Um, when did you realize that you kind of were funny? Uh, you know, I would make my friends laugh, and every once in a while I'd say something that made an adult laugh because maybe it was 
it, it felt a little bit like, has he already know what that is or a little bit of ahead of my time? Or maybe they thought that I was, um, I was reaching for something that I didn't quite understand. So I always felt funny in those ways, but as far as feeling funny, I don't know if I felt funny enough to do comedy for a living, uh, you know, when I was growing up, mm -hmm. I, I more just felt, um, I don't know how to describe this, but you know, you mentioned even how some people learn comedy and, and find their path through loneliness. And I definitely struggle with that quite a bit. That, mm -hmm. that was a, a big theme of, of growing up was, you know, I'm an only child and I had, uh, I had some friends growing up and everything, but the ability to see them or hang out with them or something was sometimes sparse. And then I would just be left with me to my thoughts mm -hmm. and everything. And I wasn't, I wasn't, great socially either so then it's like you take being an only child and awkward on top of not having that many opportunities to hang out with or um like get to know a lot of other kids and in, in a in a deep way mm -hmm, and sure. you know that that kind of leads to a downward spiral of awkwardness to be honest with you like like even even looking back i feel like there were some interactions where i was like oh yes i would have also not hung out with me in this moment <laughs> well you talk about in one of your most widely watched youtube performances which i found just unbelievably hilarious catfishing the kkk uh, yeah you talked about growing up with basically a computer. You know, you had a home computer. You were a latchkey kid in many cases. Um, and you used to strike up conversations with strangers on Craigslist, which is yeah. interesting in and of itself. And you would have fun mimicking what people wanted you to be kind of anonymously online. And one day you see this ad that says, join the KKK. You as yeah. a young African-American child at that point, that turned into an unbelievably successful story that you then had as one of your comic bits. Oh, in my, in my head, I was like, I, I think, especially for what the internet was back then, there was so much deep anonymity. You know what I mean? There, there's just a thing of like, oh, no one's ever, like nothing will come of this, if that makes sense. And, and so I was just like, okay, this can't be real. You know, like the first time I saw it, I was like, <laughs> no, this, this is clearly a joke. They're a terrorist organization. <laughs> and then, and then as I was like, you know, talking to people or like in interacting in any way, I was like, oh my God, this is real. And then, then it became like, I, you know, it, I think it, it also comes from being very young. You don't really see yourself as in danger ever. Cause when you're young, you think you're going to live forever, no matter sure. what no matter what you do. So th I think that's mainly what was crossing my mind initially when I saw it was just like, oh, this is another person trolling, maybe. You trolled. You you found some guy named Dale who was a member of the KKK. How long did you string him along where it, it's, it's just so fascinating to me because here you were a kid with a computer and you got him yeah. to show up to, quote, meet you on multiple occasions by pretending yeah. you were an adult who hated black people. Yeah, I feel like this was like weeks and weeks. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how long it was because it's all like such a blur. Um, 
but it was definitely like weeks and weeks. It wasn't like just a series of days or anything. Um, it was to the point where sometimes I forgot I was doing it. If that makes sense. Like, like I would just go have a day, like <laughs> completely separate from all this. So that's another reason why I was like, Oh yeah, that went on longer than I, than I initially thought when I thought back to it. And he never, he never found you, obviously. I mean, you kept making him no, go to no. <laughs> all different locations. Hey, I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there tomorrow. But it yeah. turned, the story actually turned into this YouTube performance, which has been seen more than 12 million times. So it yeah, really resonated yeah. with people. But I started to look at some of the comments after mm-hmm. that, and it was it was interesting how people described you. They described you as a very calm and natural comic, not one of these people who's always going for the knee slapping, you know, punchline oh, sure. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I go back and forth because every once in a while I I'm I'm appreciative of people that whatever I'm saying or doing is finding its audience and resonating with people. But then there's another part of me that I'm like, ah, yeah, but it wouldn't hurt to spice things up once in a while and maybe <laughs> maybe be maybe a bit quicker to the punch you know it's like one commenter I I wrote like to say stage but oof. one commenter wrote you have to be a great comedian to take something as troubling as a clan rally and make it hilarious this guy has it what would oh, you well, describe you. as your comedic style um i think i think it's a you know um a sort of aim towards storytelling, but with a, with always a nod towards observation. You know, every everything that I talk about in my stories that I talk about from my life or just things that I've witnessed and everything, uh, I don't bring it up unless I have a distinct take on it. I mean, that's what every comedian should do. That that's that's the whole reason you go to see comedians is to get a glimpse of their perspective. But um, for the most part, I, I only really delve in things that I think um, have some basis in a universal mm. notion. And I think that you get that through story. I think that, you know, story is, is one of the oldest connections that we have as people. You know, anything that you were not there for that someone tells you about is a story. And we've been telling stories longer than we've had, you know, written language. So mm, I think true. that through telling other people stories from my life um, and through sharing my observation, it both gives perspective and it hopefully resonates in, in that, um, in that yeah. if you can feel connected to me, you know, you can feel connected to someone else. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates 
candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You went to college and you majored in lighting design. And after college, you moved to Chicago. Why? What was it about Chicago that was so alluring to you? I think it's mainly because Chicago's like the only, at least to my knowledge, like it's the only secondary market in the U.S. It's the only market that is as big as it is, but is not this uh, primary market of New York or L.A., but it's also somehow entertainment-wise and talent-wise bigger than some of the other tertiary markets that are got great crops of talent, are great places to hone your skills and learn from people. But Chicago is in this nice middle section where you could you could actually become a really big deal mm-hmm. in Chicago without the pressures of it immediately having to turn into something. Well, so... Did yeah, you have a game plan? Why. I mean, you get there. Did you have mm-hmm. any bookings? What what got Uh-oh. you through the lean moments there? Yeah, I probably just the uh, the general delusion of of youth. I think, <laughs> <laughs> like, like honestly, you know, I didn't move there with anything. I I didn't have a job. Um, I had saved up money for maybe two years to move with. And even with the money that I had from those two years, it was still like going to be a tight squeeze to make it stretch long enough for me to get on my feet. And so, um, I think in, in those, like you said, those sort of lean moments, I, I took solace in the fact that I was having more fun than I've ever had. I was finally around comedians. I had finally started doing comedy. I was watching people that were absolutely incredible that, that, if, if anything, you know, obviously anytime someone has success, there, there are people that come out of the woodwork to be like, I always knew and everything. But I do think that I, I really do believe it because I remember the feeling I had when I watched them. And there were people that I watched when I moved to Chicago where I was like, this person is, is really good. This person is incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's like a privilege to call these people peers now, but just watching them, maybe they were three more years in than me. Maybe they were five more years in. I have no idea, but like I would see them in Chicago and then they moved to New York and found success or they moved to LA and they found success. And it's like that, that's the amount of success I always imagined sure. them having. And I think that a, a, genu- a genuine love for what I was doing and who I was becoming was also what helped because, you know, the, I had the benefit in, <laughs> in this like section of the climb, I had the benefit of not knowing any better. Mm-hmm. So then I had nothing to compare it to, to realize how bad of a situation I was in. <laughs> well, how you know? bad did it get? Josh, I mean, were you living in a tiny apartment? Were you hungry? I need to hear this because our listeners need to understand what people go through to reach their dreams. No, I I feel you. I I, okay. So a good example, uh, my friends, when I moved to Chicago initially were very kind and they allowed me to stay on their couch um, for the first, I think for the first like 
two weeks just for for free because they knew me <laughs> and then i offered up i was like hey you know i have this money saved up i'm still looking for a job i like and also you know i moved there so naive that I really thought I'd be able to get a job as quickly as I got a job in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. But the job I got in Louisiana was just, I was like 16. I just got my worker's permit and I just would go to restaurants like being like, do you need someone to work here? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> like no resume or anything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I thought I'd be able to get a job. I'm like, this is a city got, you know, 2 million people in it. I'll be able to get a job like that, you know? And then two weeks in, I'm still waiting to get some interviews. I'm still waiting to get some calls, you know, all this stuff. And I'm looking every day, but they, they were allowing me to stay on their couch, um, for a split of the rent. So then I at least had somewhere to stay, but then I didn't have, you know, money coming in or anything. I remember one of the most poignant ones was, um, you know those door knocker like coupons yes. that you get? Okay, yes. so there was one of them that we got on our door for this new pizza place that had just opened. And it was going to be three medium-sized pizzas for $5 each. And so we we all looked at each other and we were like, tonight we eat like kings. All right, <laughs> there's three of us, and that's three pizzas. Everybody got pizza to themselves. We're gonna be living forever, right? We order the pizzas, sure enough, with tax and uh, with tax and tip, it's like, you know, 20 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So we're like, mm -hmm. oh man, we are living, right? Okay. okay. And sure enough, the the pizza poisoned all of us. It was, oh. it was so bad. It was, it was really bad. And the way that I knew I was poor is that I, I got so sick the next day. I knew it was the pizza. And I looked at my roommates. I was like, I'm going to eat a little bit more and then I'm going to throw it away. Because <laughs> this is This is bad. <laughs> but in my head, it was worth one more roll of the dice, you know. When did you get your first booking there to do stand up? And what was that like? My first booking. OK, so. The first I guess you could call it like, yeah, an official booking. I, I would um, do the open mic at the Laugh Factory mm -hmm. for a while, right? So I, I did it. The The way it worked in Chicago, at least while I was there, is that you had to do the open mic three times. And then at, at the third time was when the owner would watch you. And then from the owner watching you, you would either get passed or you would get told, like, come back in a couple months or come back when you're a little bit better or, mm -hmm. or like, don't come back. I don't like, you know, you would get your sort of verdict after that third one. And so it was a really big deal for him to be there because you couldn't get past without him being there. Even if you had done the mic seven times, if he wasn't there to officially pass you, you can get past. Ah. And so I remember I had done it the first time, did really well, did it the second time, did even better. And this is still early in the comedy. Like I'm, you know, like what, six months in maybe. So I'm, I'm doing well, but by the skin of my teeth each time. Cause it's not as if I'm a seasoned performer or anything. You sure. know? And, and so even when I'm bombing, I don't know what went wrong. Cause I don't know anything yet, you know? And so, you know, I get the call to come 
to the Laugh Factory and that they were very kind. The, the staff really liked me. So they actually sent me an email specifically being like, hey, can you be here tonight? Because the owner is in town and he's watching people and I want him to watch you. And I was like, yes, I'm there. So I rush over. I do a set. He likes me. He likes what I'm doing. He likes my like tasting comedy, everything. We had a, we had a short conversation and then I got my first booking that weekend after I got passed. Wow. So, so it was my first spot. And I remember it was like genuinely, genuinely electric. Like I, I cannot describe it's It's one of those things. It's why I'm glad I don't do drugs because it's the, <laughs> it's the high you try to chase. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't it was, really it cost money or can get you arrested. Yes. Yes. It's like, <laughs> it's a very wholesome high. And I felt like it, it really didn't make all those weeks and months worth it. All of the, um, all the stuff when it came to like, will I get a job? Finally getting a job, the job not being quite conducive with comedy. So then I had the issue of like, okay, do I take, do I make myself poor by taking less hours just to do stand up at night? Or do I go ahead and miss out on building all these relationships faster? by working as many hours as possible just to be comfortable, you know? So that was, that was definitely a balance I had to strike that made it, that made it really, really tough yeah. like to, to, to have those weeks where it's like, okay, if like, I, I will go ahead and make enough money to make rent and to eat a little bit. And then the rest is going to just be doing as many spots as I can, mm -hmm. trying to get booked, trying to get booked on paid shows as well and everything. So all of that stuff was, um, was it's, it's part of it. And I, and I think the best thing that a person can do on, on the way up is to be, um, really smart about your approach. Like sometimes you have people who take on needless hardship and, and I think that you know, while you don't want to, you don't want to shy away from what's difficult in the pursuit of what you want. You also want to give yourself every opportunity and every benefit possible to make sure that, you know, your personal climb, your uh, career path is, isn't fraught with needless things that are in the way. You know, that, your voice is so mellifluous. Uh, that's a compliment. Oh, my God. I'm just I could just listen to you. This is so good. But I am oh, sure you. you would get up there and in your early years, you bombed. What's yeah, yeah. your game plan when you start bombing up on stage? Uh, I mean, thankfully, there are fewer and, and farther between now, you know, but ooh, initially, initially, it's, it's hard to know what went wrong because you're saying the same words that the last group of people liked. Ah, uh, so now you're like, well, the other people liked me, <laughs> <laughs> but they're not here now. <laughs> and there's a whole group of other people who don't like you. So, uh, you know, the main thing that I usually do if, if I'm ever in that situation is to sort of address it. I mean, when you are speaking to a group of people, whether you're doing comedy, whether you're giving a presentation, whether you're doing any form of public speaking, you are leading the ship. You're mm -hmm. a captain. And yeah. if you look lost, now everyone is uncomfortable. But if you let them know, okay, we're going into choppy water. Now 
everyone is more willing to come along with you. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. The same way that a pilot comes on during the flight and he's like, there is about to be turbulence. <laughs> I just want you to know, sitting in your seat, that I know what's happening. So when it starts shaking, that's not me messing up. That's I told you that was going to happen and now it's happening. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we will be right back. You started getting a lot of attention. Comedy Central named you comic to watch in 2015. And then in 2016, you get the call from late night TV. They need a writer. Phone rings. You pick up. What mm -hmm. do they say? I mean, I, yeah, I, okay. So I think it was my, my, yeah, my agent and manager at the time that told me the news. And I still did not understand that I was going to be paid well. <laughs> I such a I, shock. I genuinely was like, because because by this point I moved to New York and I was working at a grocery store in Chicago and I used that grocery store's branches to transfer. So I'm still working the same grocery store job as I was in Chicago, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so in my head, I asked, like I I I said it in my head and it didn't seem that dumb. So then I asked them. Um, on the phone and then everyone laughed at me. I was like, so, do, so should I quit my job or should I just go to Sundays? Like, should I, should I just do Sundays and then do this the rest of the week? And they were like, you will not need your, like they could not get it through to me that I would not need this grocery store job anymore. Oh, that's amazing. That's so great. Yeah. So you're writing for late night 2018. You get to perform at the New York comedy festival and this, unbelievable moment comes they're announcing the winner of the award for new york's funniest comic and they say your name mm -hmm. what went through your head um you know i i felt okay i felt a little bit weird about it because at the time, at the time I was talking to the other comics in the back and then they said my name and I did, I didn't realize that they were saying the winner. So I thought I had like left something at the front. <laughs> like, like I, like I genuinely was like, oh, the show must be over and maybe I left my phone on stage or something. And then, but then I heard people clapping and I saw the host up there. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh wow. And so then I, you know, I get up there and, and, and receive it. And it is like a real, um, a, a real moment of validation because I think that for, for anything that you do, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you are an artist, um, you, you have to be so self-reliant. You have to believe in a vision that you have for yourself Absolutely. the entire way. Yes. And that, that can be really exhausting because if you don't have any confirmations along the way, you could be like, you know, you and I both know people who are actually not good at something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then they're willing to throw themselves at it. And it's like, okay, I, I appreciate the ambition, but you're also not right. Like, right. Like, like if a person's not equipped, you don't want them to waste their time. Right. It's right? not going to work. But yet, even yes. if they believe and, and we all believe, wait a minute, I can do this. You can almost will it to happen if you just persist. 
Yeah, I think that through through enough persistence and patience, you you end up getting somewhere. And I think that that's why the moments of validation, while they shouldn't be the only thing that you look forward to and the only thing that you rely on to 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 stay the course, I think that they are so helpful because you do have to be so self-reliant that every once in a while when you get a sort of pat on the back or you get some recognition that you're on the right path from people who are just, you know, visitors along the way. Right. I, I think that that keeps you going mm-hmm. really, really, um, like, like really earnestly. I think that you, you never know. I've had people message me before and you never know what someone needs to hear. Like the same way that the internet is full of so much negativity, I really do think that the people out there that just, even if it's just a kind word, even if it's just a, a moment off to yourself where you're like, I like this person and yeah. I appreciate them and I'd like for them to see that. To know that, yeah. Even, even if it is a sort of, you know, as, as simple as a comment under a video or something, you never know when someone will see something and how much they're going to need to hear it or see it when they see it. You know, it's so, interesting that you say that because mm-hmm. uh, I had a, a general manager at a station, my small market, Columbus, Ohio, and he said, pick one, maybe two voices whom you respect and tune everybody else out because yeah. – Everybody wants to weigh in. Well, you could have been funnier about this and you kind of stumbled or, or you know, I didn't like that outfit. Uh, uh, let me just tell you something. That was among the best pieces of advice I ever got because yeah. I stopped asking, well, what did you think of that? And I only spoke to the really smart people whom I respected, but to the point where you have the power People should understand they have the power to really change the course of somebody's life with just a simple acknowledgement or compliment. Geraldo Rivera taught us that. You know, we've been in restaurants where the waiter will be serving and and he'll say, you know what, you're you're really good. You're going places, kid. And he says it and you realize, oh, my God, he, he just levitated that person who maybe was about to give up on whatever their dream was. Yeah, But I feel like that's what I'm hearing you say, that just along yeah. the way, a few comments of support from people help string you along. Yeah, I think I think that the same way that you have to work the muscle that that is sort of self-belief in the mind and everything, I think you also need help every once in a while. All of us do, you know, and no matter what stage of your career or path that you have, you know, I like obviously you don't want to surround yourself with yes people and everything but i do think that that people that are genuine reaching out to you even if it's a moment or you know maybe it is an award maybe you get some sort of award or maybe there's some sort of recognition of your work that people appreciate it i think that stuff really is powerful you shouldn't let it um you shouldn't let it dictate how you feel about yourself but it's okay Mm -hmm. to take it for what it is which is a nudge one way or the other on the path that you're on. Not getting an award sometimes is as important as getting it, you know? Yeah, you know, I I totally agree. Well, from eating rancid pizza on (laughs) a friend's couch to today where you are Comedy Central's most watched comedian ever with 40 million plus views to date across the platforms. Congratulations. You're touring now, right? 
I am touring. Yes, yes. So if you are in the States and you would like to see me doing stand-up, um, I'll give you a quick rundown of where I'm going to be and when so that you can maybe come through and say hi. Uh, May 31st, I'm going to be in Houston, Texas. Um, June 1st through the 3rd, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas. June 4th is Dallas. June 30th to July 1st, I'm going to be in Dayton, Ohio. November 16th, I'm going to be at Chicago, mm. Illinois, coming back home at Talia <laughs> Hall. And November 18th, I'm going to be at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. And November 30th through December 2nd, I'm going to be in Arlington, Virginia. If you, you know, didn't catch any of those dates and and you just want to go to the one that you heard when i said your city go to joshjohnsoncomedy.com and you will be able to get tickets to all of these dates um, you can also follow me on social and i'm always posting about where i'm going to be if there's a pop-up show if anything oh. exciting or fun is happening i let you know on all the socials so i'm on josh johnson comedy on instagram TikTok, and youtube Oh, we wish you the best of luck. I am so happy to hear this story. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time talking to you. Great, great to have you. Josh Johnson, check him out. And all I can say is, you know, what you have just heard from him is really important. It's hard, but the payoff is so, so good when you finally succeed. You all can do it. Just listen to how Josh did it and how all our Everyone Talks to Liz guests do it. So thanks again for tuning in, and I will see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. And I will always end by saying I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. It's like we got this little club here, and I'm so glad you're a member of it. Have a good day. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 